You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Is God good or what? I mean, the things that he is up to is just exciting. Let me be the first to say welcome to Southridge Church. This is your first time. We're excited that you're here. Uh, What a day to join us on. I mean, if this is the first time that you are attending our services, we're so excited that you are here. We're excited for what God is doing. But it has been a journey for really ever since last November. Uh, we believe that God had called us on a mission. We believe that God had put on our heart to purchase and build something. And last November, I didn't think we would be here this soon. Sometimes, you know, you wait for something so long that you're just like, yeah, we're still a long ways off. And then where's Jeff at, our real estate agent? There's Jeff. All right. If you need a good real estate agent, all right, we got one for you. He and I have been going like crazy looking at property after property. We have been all over this valley. When I say we've been all over this valley, Jeff, have we not been all over this valley? We've been going everywhere. We've been cold calling people. We've been going up to people asking them to sell their land. They're like, get off my land before I shoot you. You know, we've been everywhere trying to get property. We just knew God had something in store for us. And so about seven weeks ago, we're sitting at the Starbucks on Bernal. And he and I were having a meeting. We're just talking. And we were looking at another piece of property. And I was like, it's not going to work. It's just not. And he was like, you're not going to believe this. But I just got pinged. Something came on the market. It came on literally while we're sitting here having this meeting. I was like, well, where is it? He's like, it's in San Jose. I was like, all right, we've looked at land in San Jose. Just to give you a ballpark, land in San Jose goes from anywhere from a half million dollars an acre to a million dollars an acre. And I said, that's not in our budget. And he said, yeah, but this is listed at $1.25 million for six acres. I said, okay, so is there like uh, nuclear hazard waste on it? Like there's got to be something wrong with it. And he was like, uh, uh, let's go check it out. I was like, is it close? He's like, yeah, it's in San Jose. I was like, how close? He's like, it's a mile and a half from here. And I was like, no way, a mile and a half from the Starbucks, but from this hotel, it's half a mile from this hotel. It's super close. And today we're going to go see it. So after services, we're going to have buses pull up. And we'd love for you to join us, to jump on a bus. We have some snow cone food trucks out there. We're going to have some beverages out there. And we want to invite you out there to hang out with us. And uh, we're going to pray over the property. We're going to get to look around it. We've got some canopy set up outside. We've got water stations. We've got games for the kids. So please, if you can, we'd love to have you join us. You say, sure, I'm not going to join on a bus, though. I'll take my car. Here's the problem. It's raw land, so unless you have a 4 by 4 there's no parking. So we're going to have to build the parking, all right? So you say, well, I'll park along the street. So we have a police there, San Jose PD, just watching our things and security and that type of stuff. So you'll probably get ticketed, and he'll probably ask you to move it. There's, there's just no parking, and you'll see it. So if you want to follow the buses and just pass on by, you can do that. There's, 
you're going to be hard put to park. There's a neighborhood next door, uh, but parking's limited. So I don't want to encourage you. Yeah, they'll be parking. The, it's going to be awesome if you just jump on a bus. We won't be long. And if you, do, if you can't, we understand, but we're going to encourage you to. But the story that God has been doing is just awesome because this land was purchased in 2005 for $1.4 million. Okay? He listed it for $1.35. He was going to take a $50,000 loss on the land. But when you go on the assessor's map, the value of the land is $1.85, just under $2 million valuation on the land. And so we were looking, going back and forth on six acres, six acres across the street, literally the other side of the street, sold for $5.5 million. So across the street, $5.5 million. On our side of the street, we were like, what do we offer? And of course, I'm a pastor, I'm cheap, and I was like, 800000 and, uh, you know, like, he's like, there's no way, man, you're going to get rejected. It's not going to happen. I was like, tell him cash. All right. Yeah. And he's like, they don't care. You know, I was like, oh, bummer. Okay. All right. So we prayed over it. We met with our trustees. We were like, what's a good offer? And we came back with the fact that he's asking 1.35. Let's offer 1.25. But then we said, you know what? We don't want to give up all our cash. Let's ask him to sell or finance it. If you're not familiar with what seller financing is, it means he carries the note, which means we don't go to a bank for a loan, which means we save half of our cash. We have the money in the bank to pay the land off in cash, but here's the deal. I don't want to take another five years before we get plans and drawings. I think we're kind of in a rush to get things going and get this thing happening, and so uh, we made an offer, and we were the first offer. We made an offer within two or three days, I think, Jeff. Two or three days, we made an offer because the market in this area is like the housing market. Things are there, and then they're gone, just there and gone. So we prayed over it. We really have been looking. And uh, when we started to dig into the research of the land, we were like, oh, man, it's, it's, this, it's in the best area. I mean, this is a great area that we're in. You can see the 101 freeway from the land. It's on a hillside. It's beautiful. Uh, there's, you're going to see it, so I don't want to talk too much about the land. But then as we made the offer, we said, let's sell our finance. We'll give you 50% down now. Let's sell our finance the rest. And in five years, we'll make you a balloon payment. We'll pay it off in five years. So we got five years to pay off the remaining 50%. But I actually believe God's going to have us pay it off this year. That's, that's what I'm praying now is that God will have us pay it off. And so that's the next goal to pay it off. You say, well, what about, why aren't we getting any money for a geology report, a civil engineering, a general contractor, and all these things? Yes, 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 and yes. And yes, we've already started on all that. So the process is already underway. And uh, pray with me. Here's the timeline. By September, our architect and the civil and the geo will be ready to submit the permit to the county to apply to build on it. So we are already well underway to having something on the property built. Now, there's a cool thing that happened on Friday that I still can't tell you about. All right? So, yeah, I got to keep the suspense. But uh, there's some awesome things about this property that are just that have come up. And, and uh, I talked to the geologist because I had no clue when you buy land that you need to do. There's several things you need to think about when you buy land. You say, what's that? Uh, what do you do with sewage? You say, what's sewage? That's... Um, Number two, what do you do with that? There's no toilet. How do we deal with that? Uh, you also have to think about, because we're in the Bay Area, you've got to think about earthquakes, fault lines. There's all this stuff. You've got to, so you've got to get a geologist out there. And the geologist was talking to me. And he was like, if you see a piece of land that's vacant in the Bay Area, there's something wrong with it. And here's what's amazing. He said, the only reason this thing has not been developed, because they tried to develop on it in 2005, 2006, and 2008. 
The only reason they didn't develop on it is because we got the San Andreas Fault and the San Francisco Fault running right through it. So I will tell you where those fault lines are. So don't park there, all right? And if you're mad at me, I'll tell you exactly where you're parked. I'll put a I'll designated park. No, just kidding. I'll be like Sons of Korra, ground opened up. And he gets, well, no. Here's the amazing thing. No, I'm not going to tell you. I'm, I'm going to hold up. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> I met with the geo on Friday, and uh, he's an Australian guy that Rod knew. And he's got this thick Aussie accent. Just, you just look at him and just want to listen to him talk. And he's like, now, Micaiah, uh, I've been looking at your, your, your site, and uh, Micaiah, and, uh, and I'm just like, okay, just like hearing him talk and everything. And uh, uh, he, he's like, now, now it says there's fault lines here and here. Um, um, I actually don't believe there's any fault lines on your property. The only reason the land was available for us is because every developer said, you could not give it to me to develop on. And then on Friday, the geologists were like, we've been out here for the last three weeks. We don't think any fault lines exist. So either God healed that land and reserved it for us, but God is working miracles where the ground is closing up. That to me, and that's not something where, oh man, we went out there and we knew to pray that. How many of you know that Jesus is at the throne making intercession for us? making groanings and prayer requests, which we don't even know to ask. Who knew to ask, God, would you, would you take these things and make them disappear? They don't just go away, but they were just like, hey, we, we actually, we know this guy who did this study. We think he's incompetent in our professional opinion. And I was like, well, they're, they're very scientists. They were like, look, you have KB put homes right next to your property. You'll see there's, there's new homes built in 2008. And they said, fault lines don't stop. They said, KB would not have been allowed to put that house, right on the fault line, and, the, and it keeps going. He said, we think the guy was incompetent, didn't know what he was doing. We know him. We know his work, and he's mislabeled things all the time. So what does that do? The potential value of the land could just go up, but here's the best part. The best part is this. We bought land for $1.25 million. It's worth $1.85 million. We have $600,000 of equity. We made money on the deal. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that just good, just how God works? Just how God works. Six acres, South San Jose. We've been wanting to stay here. We've been looking at land that was further down south where we could afford it. But God has said, no, no, I'm going to provide land right here in South San Jose. So it, it's going to be great if you could stick around. You're going to have a lot of questions in the days ahead. And we're, we're, we're working as fast and as hard as we can. Uh, many of you know that I've kind of been uh, not as engaged recently because it's been about five, six hours a day calling the county, calling the city, working and working with general contractors and trying to build a team who's going to put this thing together and uh, it's the timing isn't ideal the general contractor would tell them we got a supply chain issue everything's very expensive everything's hard to get and I was like yeah but it's not hard to get for God God, God knew what he was doing when he gave us the land when we closed in the land God knows what he's doing and I know it's going to take bold steps of faith but today we celebrate and then tomorrow we go and we work and we pray and we say okay God Let's pay this thing off, and then we take that next step. So there's going to be phases to this. You'll see as we break it down in phases, you'll, you'll be getting updates. We're going to put on our church website just how the development on this site is coming along. Uh, it starts off boring, and uh, nothing really exciting is going to happen for a year. All the stuff's going to happen at the county. No shovels in the dirt for about a year because it takes enti- entitlements about a year at the county. And we're working with the county, which is actually a blessing. Uh, city of San Jose does not like to build churches. I'll just tell you that right now. 
uh, I have friends that they were uh, sold property to Google to build the church. And the city came back and said, I know we told you that if you sold to Google and gave up your church building, we'd give you another place, but we're going to renege on that deal. And they had to go back and forth with the city on it. The city of San Jose doesn't want to. And that's why we've had such a hard time finding land. Some of you are like, oh, pastor, let's go here, let's go here. That's not how it works. There has to be certain zoning. This is zoned for a church. And so we need to keep praying over it and keep asking God to bless it. Because here's one thing Satan likes to do. Whenever a church or any Christian uh, uh, does something great for God, the enemy's going to throw everything he can against us. Everything he can. So pray for each other. Pray for me. Pray for your church. Pray for our trustees. Pray for the leadership. Pray that God would keep showing up and showing off. And every day, say, God, Lord, you've called us to something. So I want to spend just a few minutes. We're not going to take long because I want to get us out to the property. And we've got lots to cover. But go to the book of Nehemiah real quick this morning. Book of Nehemiah. And as you're turning there, I'm blessed to have my sister and brother-in-law in the church service. And uh, they drove up from uh, Livermore. And she'll remember this. We grew up in Fresno. And if you think it's hot here, Fresno's way worse, okay? Uh, so we're doing great compared to Central Valley. Uh, but we lived on a west side of Fresno. We lived in a middle-class neighborhood, and it was Cecilia Avenue. And I was thinking about how many kids were in my neighborhood at the time when I grew up, and there was 22 people that I could still recall by name. That's a lot of kids for one street, 22 kids. Now, of course, my parents had seven of them, but there's still a lot of kids in the neighborhood, okay? And parents would just whip through in their cars, and we would play basketball in the street. We'd play roller hockey in the street because this is... NES had just came out, come out, and Super NES was about to come out. So we weren't like kids today that they just want to go play video games. No, 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 we didn't have that. Al Gore had not invented the Internet yet, so none of that had happened. You know, global warming hadn't started. And so we were outside all the time. Roller hockey, basketball, we were doing hide-and-go-seek. We were always out there. But these cars would whip through, and my mom was concerned about that because my father lost his older brother to run across the street in where they lived and got hit by a car and died. So mama was concerned by it. So she went door to door asking people to sign a petition to put speed bumps in front of our house. Lydia, you remember this? I don't even know where Lydia is. She may have moved. Lydia remembers this. And she went door to door begging people, it's for the children. We need to put speed bumps in here. My mom, she just, it was this mission for her, right? We got to get these speed bumps. Don't you care about the kids? And she would go through and everything. I later learned recently that each speed bump cost the city anywhere from $5,000 to $7,000 per speed bump. And they put in four of them. So she got the city to cough up money. And it's Fresno. Fresno's broke. There is no money, all right? And so she got the city to cough up over $20,000 to put in four speed bumps. But I thought about that story, and I thought about why she was motivated to do it. And it wasn't so much because she thought, hey, this looks great in the neighborhood, or, or it's because she had a dream of speed bumps. That's not why. And it's not because she was passionate about speed bumps. Because today, I meet with a lot of people who say, I'm looking for my area of passion. Okay, your area of passion. Okay. Or people will say, you know, I'm looking for my dream. I'm just trying to chase that area of passion or my dream. You know why my mom put those speed bumps in? Because of a burden for the safety of her children. Today we have a problem with everybody chasing a passion or they're chasing a dream and they wonder why they're not finding fulfillment. Because dreams are only good if you're dreaming. And passion is only good as long as you're persistent. You need something that has more weight to it. You need something that will keep you there. 
And so this morning, I want to entitle this message, the next few moments we have together, is give me back my burden. And if you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to Nehemiah chapter number 2? I'm going to read verse number 10, and then I'll give you context. For sake of time, I'm going to move a little bit quick. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, which basically means he's the right hand to the king of the ruler of the known world at that time. Babylon had taken over, and God had judged Israel, so the Babylonians are sent into captivity. And after that captivity, then you see uh, Cyrus take over with the Medo-Persian Empire. And so King Cyrus is here, and here you have the cupbearer is Nehemiah. He's in a place of high position and authority, but yet This man, Nehemiah, he has something more than a passion. He has something more than a dream. And notice what he does. In verse number 10, the Bible sums it up this way. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, the official heard of it, they were deeply distressed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Let me pray as we dive in this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would meet with us. God, we... This day is ultimately about you and what you are doing. But, Father, I pray for our church. I pray that you would help us to have a burden this morning. And, God, I pray that you would lay that burden heavy on our hearts. I pray that we would walk out this morning with a greater sense of urgency for your work. Your word says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You are literally calling this generation to buy back the time, to try to make up for lost time. So, Father, we in this season, I pray we would have a burden. I pray that we would have a renewed sense of urgency about the calling with which you placed on us. I pray that you would work in a powerful way. God, may this word minister to the hearer. May it stir up those who are too comfortable. God, may it start to awaken those dying embers where the passion and the, 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 the spirit of revival have fizzled out. God, may you do a work that I can't do. Spirit, come down and move. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, Nehemiah, he is burdened with something. In chapter 1, we realize how burdened he is. He's burdened with the fact that his nation, his home country of Israel is in disarray and disrepair. The walls are burned down. And there's there's nothing that he can do about it. And so in chapter 2, we meet Nehemiah. And the Bible says that he came before the king in verse number two, and the king asked him a question. He says, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and the gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, the city of my fathers, the tombs that I may rebuild it. You know, a burden is a heavy weight, is it not? A burden is something you sense. Every parent in this room has a burden for your children, whether they are still at home and young or whether they are away and they're at college or they have careers and live in another city. You still have a burden for them. Every time my wife leaves the house, I have a burden. Will she come back? No, I'm just kidding. It's just we have that burden. There's that burden on our hearts. Or there should be a burden. I'm watching things happen in our world. I'm watching things happen in our nation that I'm thinking, why don't we have a burden for that? Why don't we care about that? Am I the only one that's seeing it? 
I don't believe so. But that's quite possible. Because in Nehemiah, he was the only one to see it. Here his siblings had come back from Jerusalem, and they're telling about Jerusalem, and they're just kind of giving him a secondhand knowledge. But then we read that it wrecked Nehemiah, that it broke him, that there was this burden that was placed on him. And right now, church, let me say this. Only a burden will build that building. It's not by might, nor by power, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And unless we became a burdened church, a church that says we've got a mission, we've got something from God that I cannot escape, I cannot let go, I can't give up. It's what's driven us over the last seven and a half years. Notice, nowhere in this passage is Nehemiah saying, hey, king, I'm really passionate about building walls. I just got to go build some walls somewhere. Nowhere did he say, okay, man, I just got this really cool dream that I'm just supposed to be this epic wall builder. Just send me to go build some walls. But you know how many Christians I meet? That's how they live their life. I just hop from here and I hop from here. My passions take me here. My passions take me here. They have passion but no burden. Because your burden will say, i got to stay here. Because it's the weight that is on me. It's something that I cannot escape. Notice this. A burden may be personal, but it never stays private. Had he shared his burden with the king? No. But the king says, something is up. I see a burden on you. And so his personal burden, then he can't stay private. He's got to share it. You see, people will know when you have a burden. They will know that there is something about you. Some of us, you, I'll get around you and you will have a burden for things. Some of you are burdened for uh, human trafficking, which is at an all-time high. Did you know that the U.S. is one of the leading countries around the world for human trafficking? Did you know that? In 2019, we had 11,000 cases. Do you know what we're up to now? Over 200,000 known cases and climbing. We are leading the world in human trafficking. I see that there's children here. I won't go into the grotesqueness of what we are finding. Why are they finding in Alabama trailers filled with 40 and 50 children? Is there not a burden? Jeremiah, the great prophet of old, he said this in the book of Lamentation, which is a lament. He said, is it nothing to you all who pass by the city of Jerusalem and see it in this state? And then Jeremiah then goes on and says, my eye affects my heart. I wish that were true for us because there's news cameras all around the world. We see the devastation, but yet we kind of just go on with it. We just live our lives. We just keep going. We don't pause. We don't step back and say, wait a minute. We are called to reach a world. We need to have a burden. But the thing that I'm noticing is most believers don't have a burden. We are in the age of burdenless believers. We have no burden. We barely have a burden for our own spiritual well-being, let alone the spiritual well-being of our children, our household, our spouse, our community, our city. We don't even have enough burden sometimes to even just say, God, I need to spend time with you. We need to get back to the part where we say, God, give me that burden. You see, that burden wrecked Nehemiah. Go to chapter number one, if you would, just for a second. Because first of all, I want you to see that burden, it broke him. You say, what do you mean it broke him? Chapter one, verse number seven, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass among Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah and asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors are left from the captivity in the provinces, and they are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down 
I wept and I mourned many days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The news broke him. Does the news of the condo falling in Miami break us? That there's 156 people whose lives were snuffed out in an instant? Who thought, I'm safe in my home. I'm safe. I should be safe. This isn't, this isn't Haiti where we saw that huge earthquake rock the country. Where we saw over 100,000 perish. That's the, this is the United States. This is Florida. And yet, even there, tragedy can strike. James says, what is life but a vapor? It quickly appears and then it vanishes away. We are seeing things happen on a national scale. And I'm looking at the church and I'm looking at me. And I, and, I, and, I, and I got upset with myself this week because I was so burdened that I had no burden. And I thought, woe is me. How can I preach to others about a burden when God, what is my burden? Because when you have a burden, nothing will rest until that burden is accomplished. It's a silly illustration. It's funny, but there's a new show. It's called Loki. He has a famous line. I am burdened with glorious purpose. And I thought, how come Marvel gets it and Christians don't? How come we don't understand that we are burdened with a glorious purpose? And that's his glory. That whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. That, that everybody else gets it, but yet it's the Christians who just want to numb ourselves and anesthetize ourselves to the pain and the harsh realities that life needs a burdened believer to step into that situation. You see, the burden broke him. The burden made it so he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep. In 2005, when I first met Jane, who I knew was my wife, and I knew for the next two, three years, I just had to convince her of that, uh, Whenever I was around here, I'll use this word, I was smitten. You say, what do you mean smitten? I couldn't eat around her. I just couldn't do it. She would call me later and she'd be like, where are you? I was like, I'm at Taco Bell. She's like, gross. I was like, I know. She's like, I literally, we just had lunch together. And she was like, did you not eat? And I was like, no. It took her several months before she realized that I was just too overwhelmed by her beauty to be able to eat. Hey, Shakespeare said, if a man hears all a woman says, she is not truly beautiful. That's a good line. So now you got a good excuse next time your wife, are you listening to me? I'm just admiring your beauty. I'm just lost in it. I'm lost. Hey, is that your air buddy in one ear with the game? No, no, it's not. But understand that there is a sense when the burden comes upon you, it will break you. I missed one point, but understand this. According to verse number 10, the burden is what brought him to Jerusalem. You see, a burden will bring you to places that you normally wouldn't go. This is why some of you, you felt God leading you to be a part of ministries. Some of you, God has taken you to the mission field. Some of you have gone on mission trips with our church because it was the burden on you. That you said, I'm called to something else. Yes, there's nothing wrong with working a nine-to-five job. There's nothing wrong with being here. But God has burdened me with the fact there are people that don't know him. And I'm the one to go and tell them. God didn't give it to uh, a person next to me on my right or the person on my left. He gave it to me. And so I have this burden. And your burden will bring you to places. September is coming. Many of you are going to go back to work for the first time in months. Where is that burden? Is that burden that, hey, I'm going to witness to that coworker that I should have witnessed to a long time ago? Because that burden should take God's people back into places where we say, I am the light of the world. I'm the hope of this dark world. And God has burdened me to go back into these places. But yet I'm, I'm discouraged how little burden we have. I shared with somebody yesterday, I said, you know, I wonder if you were to get Christians alone and you were to ask them, 
Do they truly believe in a literal place called hell? That most of them, if they were honest, would have to say, no, I don't. Because if we did, that should radically change everything about us. Even though Jesus taught on hell three times as much as any other subject, why would Jesus teach on a place that does not exist? That would make God a liar. And God is not a liar. But yet, Christians, we are living as if we have all the time in the world. And yet, when we see these horrendous acts that happen in uh, Florida, shouldn't that wake us up to say, time is short. It's of the essence that we are busy about our Father's business. That we are busy with that burden. But so many of us will not allow the burden to break us. You'll come in on Sunday and you'll guard your heart. I know that Holy Spirit will wrestle with you. I've sat for hours this past week just, just wrestling with this burden. I'm saying, God, I don't want to surrender to you. I'm a pastor of a church, and yet I struggle with surrendering fully and everything to God. And then as I'm wrestling on my knees, praying for God to deliver me from this, this hoarding of my own self, my own resources, my wife taps me on the shoulder and says, come here. And I'm thinking, woman, I'm trying to surrender to God. What are you doing interrupting me? And I'm thinking I'm trying to meet with God. And she said, no, you need to come now. So we slipped over down the hall, and I could hear faint whimpering, crying. And there was my 11-year-old daughter on her knees in the middle of the night saying, God, give us revival. God, give us revival. She's 11 years old on her knees in the middle of the night, and she's praying because she has a burden at 11 where her father is there. And I'm thinking, man, we got to build this building, and I care about dirt. I'm thinking, what do we do about septic? What do we do about this? And she's talking about to God about the real things that need to happen. She has a burden, but yet church, I don't want to heap this on you too heavy, but church, when's the last time you were laying awake at night and God led you to your knees and you were sobbing and you were weeping because you know you have a lost mother, a lost father, a lost brother, a lost sister, a lost family member, a lost coworker, a lost neighbor, a lost relative, that you know that there is a little place called hell. That if they do not receive Jesus Christ and repent of their sin and receive the forgiveness of Savior, then they will spend forever in that eternity in darkness that God says, I have reserved for the devil and his angels. And yet we are unmoved, we are unfazed because the burden doesn't break us. Church, we have no burden. This is the day and age of burdenless believers. Because if we had a burden, it would move us. There was a man being led to the gallows in England And behind him was a Catholic priest reading him his last rites. The man with such a sneer, with such anger, turned to him and said, Sir, I know you don't believe a word of what you are saying. Because if I believed it, or if you truly believed it, you would crawl across this country of England on broken glass on your knees to tell the message, if you truly believed it. What has happened to the church where we hold on to this message? And I believe it's not because we're not passionate enough. Let's dismiss that. I've seen you guys. You have passion. The only thing about passion only lasts so long. There have been times throughout 2020 that I was just like you. That I called my parents and said, I'm done. I'm quitting. Y'all don't know this, but I came back from Thanksgiving. And I was breaking down in the office. And Pastor Missile was like, what are you doing here? And I was just breaking down. I was just thinking, what am I doing? Ready to toss it in. Because passion's never enough. And I called my parents. I was like, I just want to quit. Nothing's happening. People are leaving. People are upset. What is going on? I just need to get away from this. And they said, then quit. 
I was like, Mom, Dad, you're not supposed to say that. They were like, just, just quit. And then I said, I can't. And they said, exactly. You can't. You can't escape it. That's a burden. But the church does, doesn't want a burden. Let's be honest, we just don't want it. We want somebody else to have that burden. Oh, let the worship leaders, they need that burden. They need to be breaking down and leading us in worship. Oh, let the other pastors, let them have the burden. But hey, I work my nine to five. I'm an exec at, I don't want to name a tech company because we're a smaller church and then you think I'm picking on you. So you just know it's your company. And you think, I work here. I don't need a burden. That's for somebody else. Can I tell you the people that changed the world were the very people that you would think would never change the world? They were the very people that just said, God, here I am, use me. God, just give me a burden and I'll go. And I'll do whatever you've called me to do. God, I just surrender to you. God, I just want to see you do something. Nehemiah was not a preacher or a prophet. The Bible tells us what he is. A cup bearer. He brings the wine to the king. Talk about a great job. Your job is to test the wine before the king takes it. You're like, I like this job. This is great. I love the king's cellar. I got to test all this. Imagine people taking them to your job. You're just like, yeah, you like my job? Look at all this. This is my wine cellar. I got to test it all for the king. And he doesn't mind if I, you know, when I show up to work. It doesn't matter if I'm hungover. He knows I'm doing a good job at work if I'm a little bit hungover. That's probably not true, but we can have a little fun. But understand, here's a man. He wasn't, didn't go to Bible college. Wasn't a man who went to church. He's in a nation that is godless. But yet the burden came to him. He wasn't expecting the burden to come to him. But the burden came, and he couldn't shake the burden, but yet the church today is trying to shake off the burden of God. You see, the burden, it'll keep you up at night and weigh you down during the day. Understand, these people didn't understand his burden, so they underestimated his burden. But this burden broke him. But I want you to understand something. A burden will break you before you ever see any breakthrough. The burden must break you. Because that's what true intercessory prayer is. If we were to go to Isaiah chapter 59, you could skip down to verse number 16. God said, after speaking of all the unspeakable wickedness in Israel, the Bible says, and God's talking to himself, and it says, and God wondered why there was no intercessor. God wondered why is nobody doing anything about this? That God is like, I'm seeing all this happen, and nobody's doing anything about it. And today, things are worse than ever before. Don't tell me, we're making progress. No, my friend, we are not. The things which we always said would happen are beginning to happen. We're, we're, we're opening up newspaper, and it's almost like we don't even know how to blush at the unspeakable things that are happening. The horrible things that are happening. And yet the church is just like, well, let's go find our little building and, you know, let's just kind of circle the wagons, you know, sing kumbaya, and we'll just do a little Bible study, and we'll just let the world just go on by. That's not this church. That's not what we're called to. We are burdened people. And it is only when the burden breaks us that we will ever see the breakthrough. But notice this, only a burden can, bring, can free others from their bondage. I wish I had more time, but we got to wrap this up. In chapter number five, Israel was starting to sell each other into slavery. 
They were supposed to be every seven years, the year of Jubilee, you would let all the people that became indentured servants to pay off their debts, you're supposed to let them go free. Well, they hadn't done that in over 70 years. So imagine this. Slavery was common in Israel. Other Israelites had other Israelites as slaves. And finally, when Nehemiah gets there, that's when they tell him about it, and he's outraged in chapter 5. He's outraged that nobody had released these people in 70 years. And he's thinking, that means a whole generation has come, lived, and died in slavery. You see, it wasn't until that he had his burden, that he had his breakthrough, that because of his burden, he was able to set others free from bondage. Did you know you may be the key to somebody else finding freedom in Christ? But unless you're willing to be burdened with that, it'll never happen. There are corners of the world I will never get there. My wife will never get there. Pastor Meese will never get there. Uh, uh, Miss Essie will never get there. There are people that will never get there, but you will get there. God is going to take you places that you never thought. You are going to meet people that nobody else could get to. And if you don't go there with a burden, then you will never change anything. Then they will be the exact same. But yet God is sending you with a burden. All of a sudden you come into that space. He said, I've got a burden on me. And I don't care if I'm a fool for Christ's sake. I don't care, but I've got to share with you my burden. I don't care if you make fun of me. I don't care if you're upset at me. I don't care what you do. You say, how do you fight hellfire with Holy Ghost fire? And we need some Christians with some Holy Ghost fire on their life that go into their workplaces, that go into their cities and say, hey, enough of this. The Bible even says in verse number 10 that they were upset that here was come a man to seek the welfare of Israel. There is always those people when you say, I'm going to do something for God, the enemies are going to attack. The enemies are going to start coming. The moment, and this is why I've been hesitant to tell everybody about this, because I just knew the moment we take a stand to build in this property, the enemy is going to come after us. He's going to come after you. He did it in November. He's going to do it again. So I've been just telling the team, pray. Just pray. Cover it in prayer. And I'm going to tell you, just cover it in prayer. God wants to do some great things, but to do it, he needs burdened people. Lastly, a burden can't be bought. You can't buy a burden. You can't pretend to have a burden. You can't fake a burden. See, what do you mean a burden can't be bought? I wish I had more time. There's so much to cover. Nehemiah chapter number five. Nehemiah was the governor of Israel. He was allotted so much. And there were some people who didn't want him in his position. So they were like, hey, you have all this access, all this money, all this wealth. You're not taking it. You should take it. Enjoy yourself. He said, no. Give it to the people that are poor that need it. Because his burden couldn't be bought. He knew he was there to build a wall. That's what he was there for. Not there to get rich. That he was there because God had called him there. That he was there to do what God had put on his heart to do. You see, today, sadly, we don't want to be bothered with a burden. We would rather bury our burden. As we watch, suicide is up. Depression and mental health issues are up 93% since 2019. The murder rate is up 36.5% since 2019. 2020 was the deadliest year in drug abuse history of our nation. You say, well, yeah, yeah, COVID. No, no, no. It was the deadliest year of drug abuse. More people died of drug overdose than COVID last year. Where's our burden? That means people are in bondage to the needle. People are in bondage to fentanyl. People are in bondage to methamphetamines. People are in bondage to these things. But yet if God's people have no burden for it, are we ever going to do anything? And the answer is no. Half of all homeless people have a drug addiction problem. That's why they're out on the streets. That's why they're there. 
And where is the church? You say, well, there's social programs that our taxes go to. Those aren't working. And you and I both know it. They need something else. But if the church is not burdened for it, we will never see a change. Divorce is up. Everything is up. All these things, all the metrics across the way, they say that every 13 seconds in America, there's 207, or excuse me, every hour there are 277 divorces in America. Every hour, 277 people breaking off their covenantal promise. Every hour. But if the church doesn't have a burden, things will continue as they are. You see, church, we are called into a moment like this where we say, you know what? God, give me back my burden. God, give me a burden. This next season, we need to be a church that's a burden church. Not just burden because we want to build a really nice building so that we can come to church and it's a little bit cooler and it's a little bit more comfortable and it's got a little bit more programs. Even when we get there, God's going to call us to the next big thing. Because next door to the six acres is 34 acres, and we're going to put our Christian school and our Bible college. And next door to that is another eight acres. We're going to put our staff housing. We're going to put other stuff. It's, it's, the, the burden doesn't stop. I hope you know that. God just says, oh, you accomplished that one? Good. Let's go on to the next thing. And God's people roll up their sleeves and said, okay, God, give me another burden. You say, well, God will not give you a burden bigger than you're able to bear. Exactly. He won't, but he wants to do it through you. We are the human instrument that God wants to use in a powerful way in this season. But yet if God's people say, I don't want to be burdened with it, then he will find somebody. And then the rest of the world will step back and be like, wow, look who God used to do incredible things. See, I believe that right now we need to say, God, just give me a burden. I don't know what that burden needs to be. And that's what my prayer this week is. God, what is that burden? What is that thing that you just called me to because nothing else works I graduated high school almost 20 years ago and that was when I first heard about follow your passion be unique as you have a cap and gown looks like everybody else is and I'm like 20 years later they're still saying the same thing and everybody's just as dissatisfied with their jobs because it's not about passion or persistence or a dream it's about the burden so with everybody standing let's pray God, I pray for a burden. God, I pray that in this season we would once again seek you. Your word says the harvest is past, the summer has ended, we are not saved. And so, Father, I pray that you give us a burden for the lost people. I pray that you give us a burden for the city of San Jose. God, would you give us a burden for the lost and hurting? But maybe you're here this morning and your burden is different. Maybe your burden is actually a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Where you know you, you are lost without Christ. That your final destination is not heaven, but hell. And in this moment, you're moved because you know that there is a conviction that is resting on you. And the burden that's resting on you is not a burden of some glorious purpose, but it's the burden of conviction where God is saying, you're not saved. And this morning you say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to pray with somebody. Is that you? We pray with you, pray for you. If you'd like to meet with us after the service, I'd love to pray with you. Because we want to see you have that burden lifted. The burden of conviction of sin, where you can find freedom in Christ. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for the glorious miracles that you're doing. 
God, you're so good to us. You're working in so many countless ways we can't even, can't even fathom, can't even imagine. So, Father, we're so grateful. We pray right now that you would bless the remainder of our service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.